Trust me when I tell you this. Trust me. Believe me. There are saintly men and women of God all over America today, probably in this hour, on their face before God, perhaps in tears, begging God, pleading with God to do something, anything in their local church that might expand and enhance the work of the kingdom of God. And here we are with these kinds of, kinds of fruitfulness going on all around us all the time. And all I'm suggesting to you is that God has blessed us, and he is blessing us, and it's a great, great thing. And so we celebrate that. God loves a party, and it's right to say thanks for all of his, all of his uh, wonderful works among us. So uh, this is cause for celebration, and I know you feel good about it just as I do. I want to say thanks again for your response to the Christmas offering this past year. The Hope for Kids offering, uh, as you may have noticed in your bulletin, went over $40,000. That was a really strong response, and so I wanted to say thanks to all of you. May you be blessed in proportion to your generosity, and thank you so much for making a difference. We're going to see that money invested in meaningful ways and touch the lives of kids. Well, Happy New Year. Trust that you've had a good week and good celebration with family and friends, and you find yourself ready to uh, embrace the new start of a new year with all of its opportunities. And as is our custom here at Union Chapel, we talk about a life of stewardship, first of the year. And I have to confess to you that it's one of my favorite subjects. I love talking about stewardship of time and talent and treasure. Jesus had more to say about kingdom investment than he did any other subject, and it's important. And so uh, we want to talk about this theme this year called Be Rich. And it's a little bit of a misnomer. Uh, we are, we're going to begin with our foundational text today from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And this is an important text of Scripture. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the young leader, Timothy. And he's reminding Timothy of a couple of things. Number one, he said there are going to be rich people around and so not only are there rich people in the world as well as, uh, as poor people, but there, there are ways that rich people can be good at being rich. And, and so we find the instruction here in 1 Timothy, and I hope it's an inspiration to you as we lay some foundation for this series. So we want to be rich in what matters the most. 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 17 through 19. If you have your Bibles, turn there. We'll project these words on the screen for you, and as is our custom, I'll invite you to stand as you're able to hear God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There's a lot in this text. May God inspire us today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Let me ask you a question. When you grew up, did you hope to be rich? I mean, when you were a kid growing up, did, did you imagine, did you fantasize, I'm Someday I'm going to be rich. How many of you just thought, I want to be rich when I grow up? Come on, be honest about that. What, what did rich look like? I mean, in my hometown, rich was you had, a, you had a little nicer house, a nice car, and if you were like uber rich, mega rich, you, you maybe had a swimming pool in the backyard. Not an in-ground pool, nothing that sophisticated, but just a pool, some, you know, some water. <laughs> that was rich. Uh, in, in my world. Um, let me ask you this question. Do you know somebody who is rich? Many of us do, I think. Have you ever thought about that? You know, if I was rich like that, I think I could do a better job at being rich than they do. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I bet you I could do more with that money than they do. Maybe that's a, a challenge. I, I'm, I'm just curious today, how many of you are, are in the room this morning and you are filthy, mega rich. Go ahead, just raise your hand. I mean, you're just rich, 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 rich. We're a little reluctant, aren't we, about that one. What's so funny is that everybody wants to be rich, but when you're rich, a lot of people are embarrassed by it. 
You know, a little ashamed of it. What's even more interesting is that there are a lot of people that are rich and they don't even know it. Not even aware of it. For example, I have some very rich acquaintances and friends. And I have some acquaintances who are seriously rich. Seriously rich. And when you talk to them, even, even folks like that, they say, well, you know, I'm not really, I know somebody who really is rich. You know, so-and-so is rich. I, I'm not that, you know, I, I have some, I, I do have some assets, but, uh, but I'm not to that level. And so it's like everybody has their own notion of where the line is, the rich line. The problem is nobody knows where that is. For example, you get paid on the first of the month or maybe the 15th of the month, twice, twice a month, something like that. I mean, the first of the month, you get your paycheck and you go, boy, I still haven't reached it. But, and then the 15th, no one gets their paycheck on the 15th and goes, that's it. Cross the line. I am now rich. I mean, nobody throws a party like that. Because the line, you know, we're not sure where it is. And, it, and even if we identify a line, we, it keeps moving on us. And we don't know where it is. So what I want to do over the next few weeks is to help us all realize our relative wealth. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19, our text today, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, put their hope in their wealth. That's so uncertain. And for us Christian people I mean, with a Christian, at least an attempted Christian worldview, I mean, we hear those words and we, I mean, we get it. We shouldn't put our trust in money. We should put our trust in God, our hope in God. I mean, that, that makes perfect sense who richly provides for us everything to enjoy. So we want to get the right perspective on all of that. So if you're rich, uh, then this is speaking to you. And the first thing we learn from this text is don't be arrogant if you have a lot of resources. And you say, well, I've worked hard. And yeah, you've probably worked hard and you've been disciplined and faithful and maybe you invested wisely and all that stuff is right. And so you've done well with what God's given you and that's to your credit and to God's glory but it's a reminder to us that no matter what level of asset we may accumulate in life, the ability to do so comes from God, right? He gives us our abilities, our talents, our intellect, our physical strength, all of the opportunities that come to us one way or another. These are all gifts from God. Let me put this statement on the screen and see if you don't agree. Every blessing that we don't turn back to praise has the potential to turn into pride. I think that's probably right, isn't it? If we don't give God glory and give God credit for whatever blessing comes to our lives, then we can become self-centered and prideful. Have you ever met an arrogant, rich person? Sure. Me too, of course. But when I think a person is born in privilege or you know, you've earned a lot in the course of your life, there's a temptation to think, well, I must be really special. You know, I, I, I guess I have more than the average person, and so... I must be unique. I must be special. There must be something extra exceptional about me. But God says, uh, don't, don't be that way. Don't be arrogant because all of it comes from God. Verses 18 and 19, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. This way they'll lay up treasure in the next life and they'll appreciate what true life really is. And so the right perspective is suggested. So as a foundation for today, what I want to try to do is help us define what is rich. If we leave here today with a definition of what rich really is, uh, I will have succeeded. Gallup did a study and asked different people at different wages, how much would you need to earn in order to be rich? Interesting question. And this is fascinating. He asked a group of people who made $30,000 a year how much do you need to earn in order to be rich? And the average response for those making $30,000 a year was, if I made $74,000 a year, I would be rich. That would be it. Now, some of you make $74,000 a year, and you want to say, well, let me sit down with you and teach you about what rich isn't. It's not $74,000 a year. Gallup then asked those who made $50,000 a year, how much would you need to be rich? And some of, and, and it's an interesting response. So the average response was from people making $50,000 a year was if I made $100,000 a year, then I'd be rich. Now, when you hear that, you go, well, yeah, dude, if I made $100,000 a year, yeah, I'd be stinky, filthy rich. I mean, I would, you couldn't stand to be around me. I'd be rich, rich, rich. And 
There are folks, families in our church who make $100,000 a year, you know, combined income or single income, and they may want to sit down with you and say, you know, look, $100,000, I mean, you start factoring in, you know, dance lessons and, and stringing the tennis rackets, and then it's camp, and then it's college, and then if you've got daughters at those, it's the, those weddings, and, and, and college tuition, all that stuff, it adds up, and just let me just tell you, $100,000 a year, that's that. That's not rich. Yeah, interesting. And then there are those who, who, uh, who are the top wage earners in our culture, and they were asked by Gallup, people who made $200,000 a year or, or more, $200,000 a year, and the question was, how much in assets would you need in order to be rich? And the, the typical answer, the, the, the answer that showed up most by people make $200,000 a year is if you had $5 million in assets, then you'd be rich. $5 million in total assets. And when we hear $5 million in total assets, we go, yeah, duh. Yeah, if I, someone with $5 million in total assets, that, that person would be rich. Well, duh, yeah, of course. But what's funny is you can ask the poor broke guy who only has $2 million in total assets. <laughs> Are you rich? He said, are you kidding? I'm not rich. Well, I have two million total assets. And you see what happens to us. The line just gets blurred. It gets moved. And we just can't identify what's going on. When Beth and I were married, our first year of marriage, we had saved up, put a little nest egg together before our marriage, and we had $2,500 in the bank. And when we got married three days later, we moved to Kentucky where I started grad school and the plan was I would go to school and she would work and she got a job in a hospital and within weeks we were pregnant and we were suffering with morning sickness and we couldn't work anymore and so the first year Beth and I were married literally we had no income that's a zero had no income nothing coming in now we had a family and so we had we had utilities and we had rent and we had groceries, and we had all that other stuff, but we had no income, and so the first year we were married, we lived on $2,500, and we made it on $2,500, and then the second year and the third year of our marriage, I took a little church while I was in grad school, and that church paid $8,500 a year, so years two and three of our marriage, we made $8,500 a year, and we thought that was pretty impressive, and then we moved here to Delaware County and took uh, Union Chapel and and a daughter of the little church, and, and our salary for our fourth year of marriage was $11,200. I said to Beth, with a straight faith, she still mocks me to this day for this statement. I looked at her when I found out that our salary was going to be $11,200, and I said to her, with all sincerity, how could anyone possibly spend this much money? And the fact is, what happens to us is that whatever money we make, we tend to spend. No matter what your level of income happens to be, you find a way to and get that thing in circulation. And so it goes. The rich continue to uh, be confused then about where that rich line is. The challenge is, if we don't feel rich, we're going to try to continue to get rich. If I don't feel like I'm rich, then I'm going to keep striving for for the line. And one day we're actually going to pass the rich line. We're not even going to realize we're past the rich line. And therefore, we'll never be good at being rich at what matters the most. Paul said to Timothy, look, they're going to be rich people. And here's what you need to do with rich people. You need to teach them how to be good at being rich. So what we learn here is that it's not bad to be rich, but rather there are, there are challenges to being rich, and you have to really be intentional about being good at being rich. There are ways to be good at this. And you should teach people what that looks like. Now, I have good news and bad news today. Now, here's the, here's the good news. The good news is you are rich. Every last single one of us in this room and I don't know your story, and I don't need to know it. But I know where you live. I know how you got to church. And every last single one of us are rich. You are rich. I am rich. Everyone in this room is rich. 
Now, right away, folks are going to start pushing on that, pushing back on that. But I want you to hear me out. Give me an ear, if you will. The reason I know that you're rich, one of the reasons is because you have rich people opportunities. For example, if you have kids, you can expose them to books, to libraries. You can take them to the zoo. There are all kinds of activities that you can engage with your children in school. That's all free. Public education, sporting activities, all kinds of social activities, extracurricular activities. These are rich people opportunities. And we all have them. Some of us, most of us, the vast majority of us in this room, if your children's teeth are crooked, you can get them straightened. Because you have enough resource for that. Straight teeth. Almost everyone in this room today, you don't have to wash your own car. Now, you may wash your own car, but you can save yourself 20 minutes or 30 minutes because you can afford the $3 that it takes to have some machine wash your car. That's rich people opportunity. Save time, like washing your car. People in the room who have children, you know, you can, you can work on your marriage because you can afford a babysitter and you can go out. You know, Pastor Chris said, look, we've got a no-brainer deal going on here for $5 a couple. We'll provide the babysitting and a meal and, a, and a, an opportunity to effectively build your marriage. Now come to the marriage couples. And so we recognize all these things as, as a gift of God. In fact, most of the people in this room today, you not only have enough for your own needs, but you have enough that if you see someone else in need, that you can actually give to help them. Those are rich people opportunities. And when you begin to take to heart the fact that we're all rich, that God has blessed us in this kind of significant way, it might change our heart, it might change our stature, it might change our attitude, perspective about what we are capable of doing with the resources God has placed at our disposal. In fact, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said it this way. I'll put this wonderful verse on the screen, Ecclesiastes 5.19. He said, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. You agree, right? We have been blessed. We are blessed of God. Every single one of you, you've been blessed. And I want you to internalize that. I want you to believe that. I want that to soak into your heart, if you can, to, to realize it and to accept it. In fact, some of you right now, you, even now, you're pushing back. You're like, no, I'm not. You don't understand. You may be rich, Pastor, but I'm not rich. I'm not. Well, let me, let me try it this way. Let me give you two statistics. If you make $33,000 or more per year, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in this world. If you make $33,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners on the planet. I'm not just talking about the United States now, but the global world where we see incomes. And, you know, you've, you've heard this uh, banter in the last couple of years about the one percenters, you know, and this is, a, this is an attempt by political pundits to try to drive a wedge between people classes of people in the United States, shameful kind of behavior. And, and so people being labeled the one percenters. Let me just tell you, if you make $33,000 a year, you are a part of the one percenters in this world. And that's some perspective that may be helpful to you. Some of you didn't realize this, but you are part of the mega rich on this planet. And if you make $80,000 a year or more, 80000 or more, you are in the upper one-tenth of one percent of all wage earners on the planet. One-tenth one of one percent. The upper echelon. If you make $80,000 a year, that's how crazy rich you are. Now, I want to be very careful about this. I want to be sensitive to everyone when I when I talk in this way. For example, I know that there are many people in our church who are in financial hardship right now. There are financial struggles. You've got medical bills. You don't know how you're going to pay them. You've got, you've got uh, situations, unique circumstances that, that place stress on you and your family financially. 
there, there, there are folks who've lost their job. You're not currently employed, and that's so stressful. Single parents who are trying to make ends meet by working two and sometimes three jobs. I, I get that, and I'm hearing that. So I don't want to be insensitive to anyone in having this kind of conversation. I, 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 see, I see your pain. I understand your struggle. I get that. But I want us to be really, really honest with each other. Really honest. Just work with me for a moment. Most of you who have an inclination even right now in the middle of this message to push back at me and say, I am not rich and stop calling me rich, you're the ones you're going to drive home in your car to your climate-controlled home. You may upload a picture of your pepperoni pizza that's going to be delivered to your house before the game starts onto your Instagram account using your mobile device that has an unlimited data plan. I'm just saying, you're doing okay. You're doing all right. When people from developing countries talk about rich people, and this is about 3 billion human beings in the world today, that's, that's half of the world's population. When they talk about rich people, this is the kind of terminology that they use. They say, I know, I know some people who are very, very rich in the world. And a, and a person in a developing country who, who uh, is not among the rich will say, you know, a rich person actually owns a car. They have a car. If you own a car, you're in the top 3% of the wealthiest people alive. <laughs> That's rich. They would say, you know, some of the rich people, they're so rich that they have an extra car. Not only one car, but they have an extra car. There's a his car and a hers car. It's, it's almost mind-boggling. And, and you're not going to believe this, but they are so rich, they not only have two cars, but they have houses for their cars. They call them garages so they can park their car out of the weather. It's crazy what rich people have. And, and in some cases, rich people not only have a house for their two cars, but they have a three-car garage. That way they've got a place for both of their cars and for all the junk they have that won't fit in their house. And these, uh, these rich people, it's amazing They'll actually drive their cars past 15 different buildings they call restaurants in order to get to the 16th building because in the 16th building, that's where their favorite little dippy bread is where they can dip it in that oil because that's their favorite. And you know, sometimes rich people, when they go into a restaurant, they, they don't order just one meal, but they order three meals. The first one's called an appetizer. And then the second one is called the main course. And the third meal is called a dessert. And th these people, are, they, are so, they are so rich that they, they literally, this is, this is, you have to listen to this part, that they will actually eat more than they need. And some of these really, really rich people in the world, they live in houses, and inside their house they have closets. You actually can walk into the closet. I mean, get your mind around this. The, their closet is actually, is actually bigger than most of the houses that people live in in the world. And sometimes these closets... These closets have a his section and a her section. And sometimes they go up two stories. And, and rich people, they're so rich that they can walk into these closets and just go from one end to the other, just touching the clothes that, that are just lined up and stacked up in there and, and then come to, the, come to the conclusion, I don't have anything to wear. That's how rich they are. The problem is that when I said you're rich, very few people are like, oh, okay, well, th thanks for telling me I'm rich. Now I feel relieved. Now the, 
the, the, the mortgage pressure isn't so great and the college tuition present pressure isn't as great as I thought it was. So I just, I feel so much better now because, because now that I know I'm rich. And the reason that people don't feel rich is because we tend to consume everything that we earn. And because we consume virtually everything that we earn, it doesn't make us feel like we've got anything extra. And so we consume it all. And if you get more, then we tend to consume more. And some of us are very, very, very rich and don't feel rich because of our consumer practices. And God says, command those rich people to be good at being rich. Now, wait, it's possible to be good, not just to think that it was all for them. God wants us to be good at being rich. And the challenge for many of us is that we just don't know how to internalize the fact that we're rich. We don't know how to absorb that. We don't have to how to make that a part of the reality of our worldview and the way we live and give and act and react. But God says it's possible to be good. So here's, here's what I want you to do right now, if, if you will. I don't want you to shout this. I just want you to say it in kind of a normal vo- voice. And I just want you to say these words, and I'll say them with you, the two words, I'm rich. Would you say that with me? Just in a, in a normal tone. Ready? I'm rich. What are you? I'm rich. One more time. I'm rich. Years ago, one of the boys came in the house. He was just a squirt. came in the house, and he asked me this question. He looked at me and said, Dad, are we rich? And I looked at him. I had to pause and think for a moment. I thought, well, yeah, compared to the world, we're very rich. I said, yeah, son, we're rich. And he goes, okay, great. It took off out the door. And I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> and, so, and so I yelled at him. I said, where, where are you going? I said, he said, I'm just going to, out the plane. I said, well, listen, don't, tell, don't go telling everybody we're rich. And he said, okay. <laughs> and then I started thinking about that. What is going on? We, we, uh, we're somehow embarrassed by or ashamed of the fact that God has blessed us. And we've just come to the conclusion that really, if you have more than you need, that means you're blessed of God. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. I mean, we don't do this in, in other areas of our lives. I mean, if someone walks up to me and, and says, Greg, you know, you and Beth, you have a great marriage. It's such an inspiration. You know, it's, it's just thank you for being so strong that way. You know, I don't go, oh, wait a minute. You know, that's not, that's not actually true. You know, uh, you know she's, she's not easy to deal with at all. We've just, we've just been faking it. I mean, nobody does that. You don't say that. Or someone walks up to you and says, and says, you know, you look good. Have you lost weight? You know, you've been working out. You know, you seem like you're really fit. You seem like you're, going, you're doing well. And nobody goes, well, yeah, but if you saw me with my shirt off, you know, flabby, 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 it's not good. I mean, you say, well, thanks. Yeah, I've lost a few pounds. Yeah, it's great. Thank you for noticing. But it's curious, you know, you walk up to somebody and you say, is that a new car? Man, that's, I love that new, that's a great car. I love that car. And what's the first thing that a person will say? Oh, well, you know, um, you know, I got it on sale. Let me tell you about the deal I got on this. And it's like everybody's just kind of backing, backing out of that, apologetic somehow for it. Because we don't want, there's some sense of embarrassment about that sort of thing. So I want you to internalize this thought. Uh, we're now on the outline, on your bulletin. This, no, we're up to the outline. You say, oh, God, oh, no. <laughs> now, listen, I gave you a, a big break over the holidays. The holidays are over. Back to normal. Now, embolden caps right on near the top of your outline. Here's what it says. And I'll put this on the screen for you. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. And we could all, all, also put that in the plural, couldn't we? God has blessed us with more than we need. We are rich. So I told you earlier that I had good news and bad news, and the good news is you're rich. Now here's the bad news. And let me just say that the bad news is really bad. 
And it's, uh, it's, I can't really express to you just how bad the bad news is. It's bad, bad news. So the good news is you're rich. Here's the really, really bad news. You're rich. It's bad news. It's one of the greatest spiritual disadvantages that we have here in the United States. I, was, I went home last night. I preached this sermon last night. I went home last night, and I go, look at, look at what ha- what's happened. Look what ha- has happened to my life in my world. Look at, look at what I do. I have to stand up and try to inspire people to believe that they are rich and get the right perspective on that. I mean, that's the biggest challenge that I have as a pastor in America. I mean, think about that. It's, it's not about, let's, let's, uh, let's trust God. Let's build our faith. Let's do something great for God. Let's, let's, uh, let's expand. The, it's not that. I think, here, here's what I, here, think about how pitiful we are, how pathetic we are, that our problems are so bad, our richness is so great, that it is so compromising to us that it takes special effort just like this to try to encourage and inspire us to imagine just how blessed we are so that we might open our hearts and open our hands to really make a difference in the world. Good news is we're rich. Bad news is we're rich. Wow. It's really hard. Remember, Jesus met a guy one day who was a rich, young ruler. He came to Jesus. He said, I want to inherit eternal life. What must I do? And Jesus said a couple of things. First, obey the commands. And the young man smiled and said, that's great because I've been obeying the commands since I was a youth. You know, I'm, I'm all in. I, I've been good. I've been obedient. I've been faithful. I, I'm a model citizen. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I cross every T. I'm good at this. I'm a good boy. And Jesus said, well, that's great. That's great. Now, one more thing. Take all you possess and sell it and give it to the poor. Because <laughs> Jesus saw what really motivated this kid. He was motivated by his stuff. He was motivated by his professional success. He was motivated by his assets. He was motivated by the line, the rich line, wherever it was. And his psychology is out there somewhere. He hadn't quite got there yet. But he was, he was climbing the ladder And the Bible says that this rich young ruler went away saddened. And the interpretation of the moment is that he loved his stuff more than he loved to follow Jesus. And it's very poignant. Let me just point out something. There are people who have taken this story and tried to make a doctrine out of it, like everybody should be poor and everybody should be impoverished. You want to be like Jesus and follow Jesus, you can't have anything. And that's not the interpretation of the story. In fact, what we know about this story is it is the only time recorded in the Gospels where Jesus told anyone to sell everything they have. Only once did this happen. And it was because it was at the heart of this particular young man's challenge, his motivation, his heart. Jesus said, in order for you to be delivered from your love of money, you have to give it all away. So one time we see this happening, and occasionally God will ask people to do that today. But generally speaking, that's not an expectation that Jesus places on us. But he does expect us to understand that while it's not bad to have stuff and to accumulate assets, it is bad, it is wrong, it is a challenge for the stuff to have you and to possess you and to control you and to alter your attitudes toward others in the world because of those assets. And Jesus said, teach, teach people the importance of being good when they're rich. You can be a, a good rich person by getting the right perspective on it and by being generous. Yeah. Luke's chapter 18, verses 24 and 25, look at these words on the screen. They're familiar to, I'm sure, Jesus said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. There it is again. Good news, you're rich. Bad news, you're rich. It gets harder. This is a tremendous 
spiritual disadvantage, I cannot emphasize to us enough. I, I don't even know if I can break through it because there's so many layers. There's, there's so much insulation around us because you ask Americans, what are your highest values? And they say, well, my highest value is to make a lot of money and to, and to accumulate a bunch of stuff and to secure all that. It's like, like always near the top of the list for Americans. I mean, this is so ingrained in us. We are, we are so captivated by this worldview that it's hard to penetrate. It's hard to get through it. But Jesus said, look how hard it is for rich people. That's all of us, how hard it is for us to get into the kingdom of God. It's a huge spiritual disadvantage to be rich. Now let me just give you the the words to the outline now. This will go quickly. Here's number one. Three of the many challenges we have as rich people. One, it's harder to depend on God. It's harder to depend on God. It's really hard. You go to a developing country, there's nothing but God to depend on. The story I think I told you recently about some new acquaintances I have in India. These two guys, they're, they're, they're foot soldiers. I mean, they're evangelists. They're church planters. And this, this uh, matriarchal, patriarchal guy, he had led this younger guy to Jesus. And so the two of them now, they're this team of evangelists. And the way they get from... From, from where they live to their mission field is they walk. I mean, the whole idea of having an automobile is just, it's, they, they can't get their mind, not in their wildest imagination would they ever think they'd have a car. And so they walk. I mean, they could, could ride a bike. Well, yeah, you could ride a bike if you had a bike. If you could afford a bike. If you could buy a bike. They don't have any money. They don't have any money. Are you kidding? A bike? And so They walk. You'll say, well, you know, how do they pay the hotel bill? <laughs> you don't understand. They don't have anything. So they just depend on God for everything. And so they walk into a village. They ask around until someone will agree to give them some food, maybe a place to lay down. And when they are invited into a, a house, they say, is there anyone here who is physically ill and needs to be healed? And inevitably, there's someone sick in these expanded family households in India yeah, grandma's been in the back room there for months. We think she's dying. We don't anticipate she'll ever come out. And so these two guys go back there and they just pray in the name of Jesus, depending on God, in the name of Jesus, we pray that grandma will be miraculously healed. And grandma gets up and she comes out and she says, I feel fine. And people come to faith because of these healing miracles. And then they begin to develop the church around this miracle. And they establish the church in one little village. And then they pick up and they, with their feet and they walk to the next village. And that's how they expand the kingdom of God, just utterly and totally depending on God for everything. It's a real advantage not to have anything when it comes to depending on God, because then you don't have any choice. Now, we have all kinds of choices. We, we don't have to depend on God. Are you kidding? It's It's, it's fascinating. You know, Jesus said, pray this. When you pray, pray this way. And part of that prayer was, and give us this day our, our daily bread. Nobody prays that in earnest. Very few people in America pray that prayer in earnest. Give us, and Lord, give us this day our daily bread. No, we don't pray, God, give us some bread today, because we got not only today's bread, we got next month's bread back home. It's harder to depend on God when you're rich. Do you say grace over your meals? Oh, when I, you know, when I think about it. Do you thank God for your food? Well, you yeah, try to. It's a good thing. So much. Here's number two. You want to write this down. It distracts us from our true priorities. Distracts us. Being rich. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to agree that, that being in fellowship with other believers, that the worship of God, the public and private worship of God and the interaction of his people, when you hear that, you go, yeah, that's what believers do. Yeah, we should get together. We should support one another. We should be there for one another. We should worship God and we should, we should gather and not forsake our assembling of ourselves together. That's what, that's what believers do. The problem is that we're rich. And we have rich people distractions. 
You know, we put all that money in that lake house and now it's summertime, so we've got to go. And there's season tickets. And there are all these kids' activities. We've got activities, activities, activities coming out of our ears. Kids are in soccer and in dance and, you know, they got the tennis lessons and, you know, and then there's just the extracurricular stuff. I mean, it's just the, the kids are so busy. They, we can't really get them to 180. And so all of us fat and sloppy and rich folks, we don't even have time to sit down with our kids at the dinner table anymore because we're just running. And we think we're doing good with our families. We think this is what it means to be, you know, to, to be good parents and grandparents with these kids. But we never sit down and look them in the eye and talk to them and hear their story and understand what they're going through. And there's this huge, listen to me, there's a huge relational void that is developing in the hearts and soul of these kids. And they don't know who they are and they don't know why they're here, and they have no connection with something that's bigger than they are, a higher purpose, a sense of destiny. They, they're missing that. And all the while, all of us rich people, you know, we pile them up with stuff. Their rooms are full of stuff. They've got all the latest gadgets. They've got easy transportation. We give them everything they want, but they don't know who they are. Crazy. Being rich, listen, it distracts us from our true priorities. It's a huge distraction. Number three, being rich really keeps us from understanding our greater responsibility. Responsibility is the word you want there. We have tremendous responsibility of what God has given us. Jesus said it this way, to whom much is given, much is required. Now, he, listen, he's talking to rich people. <laughs> he's talking to you and me. And that's speaking to all of us. Much is required of us. Now, that's bad news because a lot of us, we're using all the wealth we have on ourselves. That's why they call us consumers. That's why at the beginning of Advent this past year, I stood up and said, please don't spend as much money buying stuff this year. And I got some people saying, thank you, Pastor, that was really helpful. And I got more people who respond to that sermon and that series by saying to me, I don't care what you say. I like to buy for my family, and I'm going to do it anyway. Because we can't help ourselves. We are addicted And being rich really hinders us from understanding what our responsibility is as, a, as persons who have received much. So God said, command those rich people to be rich in good deeds and be generous and be willing to share. Then they'll lay up treasures for themselves and have life that truly is life. The bad news is there's more expected of us because more has been given to us, and we need to internalize that. Have you heard me use that phrase? We need to take that to heart. We need to own that. We need to let that sink in. We need to embrace that. Because we are so blessed, we are so rich, we have responsibility in the world. We have members of our staff right now, they're, they're this close to adopting three brothers from Ukraine. And as, as a staff now for months, we've been doing all kinds of activities, fundraisers, special preparations with gifts and projects, and, you know, how can we get enough clothes ready for these three boys and, you know, get their rooms outfitted. I mean, we've just been giving, giving, giving to this couple to help them prepare for when these boys show up. Because the phone could ring now any day, and off they'll go to collect these boys. It, it, and it's just great. You know and, and that's, listen, what we've been doing, that's what rich people do. 
That's what rich people do. And as a church, listen, we're full of rich people. And as rich people, you know what we're going to do? We're going to continue to do? This is what we're going to do. We're going to continue to invest in our community. We're going to do that. And we're going to give resources away like crazy. And we're going to build some more homes for deserving families. And we're going to help adopt kids. And we're going to clean up neighborhoods. And we're going to do things like this because we've been blessed, because we're rich. And if someone asks us, why do you keep doing those things, Union Chapel? Why are you so invested in the community? We'll just say, because we've been given much. And so we, we feel the need to bless others. And it doesn't make us special or unique or smarter or any of that. It just makes us grateful. And we want to we be good at being rich. And that's why we want to continue to give and continue to make a difference and continue to invest in our community and people who are deserving in our community. Because God has blessed us with more than we need. Good news, friends. We're rich. Bad news is we're rich with all the inherent responsibilities. Well, are you okay? Are you all right? I hope you are. It's, it's not easy for us to hear these things because we get adjusted, don't we? So let's pause and just spend a few moments to pray. Ask God to take to heart these things we've heard. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your blessings. So many which you've placed in our lives. Lord, we confess today we didn't earn all these blessings, certainly haven't deserved them. And so God, since you expect more of us, we want you to help us to think well beyond what we're used to thinking about, capable of doing we would be rich in a way that brings glory to you and helps people to know your son, Jesus. Now, friends, as you're, as you're praying this morning, I want to ask a couple of questions. The first one will apply to everybody. And I'm wondering, how many of you would say, I want to be rich in what matters most? I really do. I want to be rich. And I pray God blesses all of us materially and blesses you even more than you can imagine, but even more so that he would bless you in the things that truly matter most. Those of you who would say, I'm rich, and I want to be good at it. I want to be good at being rich in what matters most. If that's true for you as you think about a new year and new beginnings, would you just lift your hand and say, yeah, I want to be, I want to be good at being rich. I, I realize I am, and I want to be good at that. God, help me to be good at being rich, honorable to you. That's so great. God, thank you for a bunch of very rich and very blessed people that are blessed beyond what we deserve God, I pray that you would be causing us to shift our attitudes and hearts from wanting and craving and desiring more to actually doing more with what you've already blessed us with. God, I pray that you, you would help us be a church full of rich people that are good at being rich, being generous, doing good, making a difference, serving you and honoring you with our lives. Now, as we continue our prayer, nobody looking around, I want you to listen carefully for a moment. Think about Jesus' encounter with this rich guy. This rich guy really wanted to inherit eternal life. He wanted to be a follower of Jesus, but he couldn't take the step of faith because he loved his stuff more than he loved following Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that because there could be some of you right here in the room right now, if you're really honest, you'd have to admit you're not sold out to God. Jesus is not first in your life. He's, he's not first above all else. And there's something, something drawing you toward him, just like the rich young ruler. He's compelling. He's interesting. I, I want to serve. I want to follow him. You recognize that the things of this world are not that great, and there must be something greater. And you know that God put something in you to make an eternal difference, but there's something holding you back. And quite honestly, for some of you, it's your stuff. It's your pursuit of money, the things in this world. But for others of you, it may be something different. For some of you, it might be your pride. For others of you, it might be like an unanswered intellectual question. I just have these questions, and I, I just can't get past them. And it, 
and I can't make sense of it in my own head, and so I just can't follow Jesus because I just have these lingering doubts. Or it might, it might be a hurt, a wound in your life, some pain. Someone who was a Christian lied to you or a church let you down. And there's something that's in your way of your full commitment to Christ. And I just want to tell you right now, this is a new year, first Sunday of the year. You have a choice to make. You can put all of that aside. Your own love of money, you can, you can literally, you can put that aside. Or your own pride, or even your own doubt, which you've, which you've allowed to be center in your life. I mean, your own intellectual questions has been at the center of your life. Listen, you can set that aside. You can, you can turn from your confusion and turn from your sin, and you can turn to Christ and trust Him. Or you can walk away sad, just like the rich young ruler did, because he loved something more than he loved following Jesus. And there are those of you today, you're going to put something aside. You're going to turn from your sin. You're going to recognize your need for a Savior. You're going to surrender whatever's in the way, and you're going to say, Jesus, yes, today, by faith, I put you first. I surrender my life. I give it to you. Would you be my Savior? Would you be my Lord? There's nothing going to keep me from knowing, serving, and following you. By faith, I give my life to Christ today. Now listen, if that's your prayer, I want you to pray this prayer out loud with me. And everyone, would you just pray it out loud in support? Pray after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, be first, the Savior of my life, my personal Lord. Transform me into a new person who is rich and blessed to serve you, to follow you, to glorify you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can serve you all of my life. Thank you for your many blessings. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.